Hello and welcome to Let the Bird Fly. I'm here uh, with Wade. This is Mike Bird. We're from Wisconsin Lutheran College in our beautiful um, studio here. And we're here to talk about um, Martin Luther again. We've been going through a series of Martin Luther's life and I started way at the beginning and haven't made it. We've made it a fair amount. We're in the 1520s right now. It's been good. Today will be maybe the day we make the most chronological progress because we're going to move a few years. That's right. And so last time, if you're listening to our series, if you're just jumping in, that's fine. But we've been, we probably got 20 some so episodes already. And uh, the last time, if you were listening, we were at, uh, we were in Wittenberg. Uh, Martin Luther had left. Uh, the Warburg Castle had come in uh, to see what was going on in Wittenberg under the, uh, let's say, leadership of Karlstadt. He stays there, not liking what he saw, and preached a sermon, a series of sermons called the Invocabit Sermons. And then the next big event, um, if your if your cursory look at Luther's life, is going to be the Peasants' War, which is going to be 1524 and 1525. The Invocabit Sermons are March of 1522, and we. We did kind of hit on some of the things that happened between 1522 and 1524 or 25, um, but I thought it would be a good idea not just to jump over that because there are some things that happen and maybe some interesting things that we should talk about. And so um, we uh, are following along in some biographies. Probably the main one we've really grabbed onto, at least I have, is a Martin Luther Visionary Reformer by Scott Hendricks. And so we kind of read up on that period, Wade and I, just uh, because this is stuff that's maybe not uh, as familiar to uh, to people who, who are Lutherans or historians. Uh, there's some details in there that we wanted to get right. So um, as you read that, Wade, was there anything that jumped off the pages for you that thought was important as we transition from the Invocabit sermons to this kind of issue with uh, Peasants' Revolt a couple of years later. Sure, and, and this is actually winging at number 29. Oh, great. So we're, this is in our Luther to 30. Series, so we're almost to 30. Um, and we've made our way, I think today we're going to be, what, especially 1522 to 24. Um, Peasants' Revolt will probably merit its own Absolutely. episode. Um, we probably owe Katie Luther an episode, mm-hmm. too, although we're going to talk about her today. We might just fit that one in um, at whatever point we can kind of dedicate some time to, I guess, reading up on her and to the extent that she deserves. Um, but I think an interesting thing about this um, time period is that we see um, it's a transitional period for Luther in that now the Reformation has clearly <coughs> taken hold in electoral Saxony. Um You've had Luther kind of having to slow reform, um, as we discussed in previous sessions, as you had during his absence, people who wanted to move much more quickly. But at the same time, you see Luther expressing uh, maybe some frustration that we've waited long enough for the week. Um, so the idea that there there are things that should now take place here and so I think if I were going to think of a few themes for this time period, um, the first would be Luther thinking about what Sunday should look like in the church, um, a reform of the mass. Um, I believe in 1522 it talks about in Hendricks that the, was it the Christmas mass was largely celebrated in the traditional way. Um, you have questions of the Lord's Supper, um, you know, 
up until this time, it's kind of been uh, the wine was only offered to those who requested it. Now it's getting to the point where Luther's saying we should offer both kinds and people should either take both or, or neither. Um, you have a concern regarding reform spreading in other territories. So Luther is becoming, in many ways, an administrator. Um, Hendrick says at one point a bishop without the actual title. Yeah, I was going to say, if this, if I had to think of this this period right now, it's like, well, we started this. Oh, crap, now we have to administrate this yeah. stuff. And you see that happening a lot just today. I was talking about um, John Wesley and history of Christianity, not really wanted a breaking from, break from the Anglican Church. But his movement got so big that you are forced to have some sort of structure. There are implications yep, yep. Of, of what has taken place. Um, and so you're going to have um, other territories or cities that are contacting Luther and saying, okay, uh, we want reform as well. What does that mean for us um, when it comes to our parish or our Sunday service? Um, and you're also going to have this kind of tension between Luther, who, um, you know, sees Reformation as something is necessary, although using the term once again, like we've said a hundred times, is anachronistic, but then um, issues of you're having to work with secular authorities to accomplish this, which means you have um, personalities involved, you have political considerations involved, and you ha also have questions of structure and who can do what when. So I think it's, is it Leisnig that um, the city wants to retain a pastor who had become an evangelical, um, which is a, a Lutheran in parlance at that time. And uh, the upper echelon doesn't want to keep him, um, but the congregation does. Well, does the congregation have a right to retain or to call its own pastor? In, in American Lutheranism, we say, well, duh, right? Um, but these are big questions at that time. Uh, you have people who are spiritual princes, meaning that they had an ecclesiastical title, but also um, were secular rulers over a territory. Um, if they were to become evangelical, uh, they could lose everything. In fact, there's this interesting guy from Cologne that I have written in here, research, because I really would like to research him more. He seems like Herman, Someone who deserves some uh, Herman attention. Von Veed. Yeah, Herman yeah. von Veed. And uh, he tries to, he's Archbishop of Cologne, and he tries to take them um, in an evangelical direction. And after 10 years of back and forth, he's actually excommunicated mm -hmm. and stripped of his titles and land. And you read that, and you, and you go, that's a dude we should know about, mm -hmm. right? What happens to him? Yeah. Um, to what extent was he evangelical? Does he end up a Lutheran? Um, yeah, I do actually have some answers for that. Um, really? You yeah, Google it? Or? No, my, my dad did a paper on him. Really? Um, How'd your dad get turned on? Um, be, uh, liturgically, because he was very influential in a liturgical reform and was a connection to the uh, Book of Common Prayer. So they really? owe a lot to the Book of Common Prayer from Herman von Veed, who was uh, love to send Roman Catholic. Huh. Roman, I have it. Roman Catholic. <laughs> Uh, archbishop, so one of the an elector, correct? Or is it? No, he's archbishop. Just You're archbishop. thinking Albrecht of Mainz. Albrecht, okay, so archbishop Cologne um, tries to take the to his you know his people uh, to the to the evangelical side, which is crazy because Cologne right. was like later is known for being like hardcore Catholic, right? Yeah. And and I wonder <laughs> if they, historically that's why I think 
clamped down. Maybe right. that's part of the story. I don't know that. But yeah, he's definitely a guy that um, is not on our radar and has influence for English-speaking Lutherans and the English-speaking <laughs> church in general, obviously, because of the Book of Common Prayer. So yeah, I will give you that article. He's an interesting um, interesting guy. He kind of pops up like you're like, you see, you know, you read a biography of somebody else and you're like, at this meeting, there was this guy named Herman Von Veed and the other yeah. people, and you're like, oh, and, you know, he's one of those kinds of Yeah, guys. no, those are the fun ones so, to do a paper on. Yeah, but I think it's interesting that you bring that up. I mean, um, I, I did not know about Albert, Master of the Teutonic Knights. I, I didn't really know about that story, which is kind of the opposite. He is a he is a secular prince, but there is, how did that work out? He's in yeah, Prussia. So he's, this. It's um, at this time, what we call Prussia, um, or think of as Prussia later, um, Albrecht is, or Albrecht, that's one thing I don't like with Hendrix is he makes these all Al- Alberts, but <laughs> um, Albrecht is, he kind of gets elected to this position. I think he himself is from southern or southwest Germany. And this territory, because it's connected to the Teutonic Knights, actually belongs to the Teutonic Knights, but because they're kind of a religious order, he takes a vow of celibacy. And so he's a secular prince who kind of also then becomes a religious cleric without being everything that goes mm-hmm. along with that. And uh, um, so this was not meant to be a, 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 a territory that was to be passed down in the family. And, uh, yeah, Albrecht will actually be won over to the Reformation cause. Um, I believe Mary's pretty early on, and this will become then a, a territory that will remain with the family. Um, but he, this will be when um, what we think of as Prussia will become Lutheran, which obviously has huge implications for following centuries because mm-hmm. this is a <clears throat> Prussia will become, I mean, before Germany is a thing, Prussia is the big thing in, mm-hmm. in Germany. Uh, you'll also have... Um, and he gives just a, he gives the title, if I got my notes right, title of the master of the Teutonic Knights to the Polish king. And so this is the way he can... He makes some concession to yeah, yeah, it might be that. Then, something yeah. like that. And so he is able to say, okay, I'm not this spiritual, but I'm a more secular, whatever. Right. And, and so Because Prussia, out. if you're thinking of it right, you're, you're butting right up against Poland. Yeah. And so, and Luther... Um, you know, follows this, maybe even recommends this. And I think the... Does recommend it, yeah. Yeah, the bigger picture we're seeing here is what is the job of a reformer? It is, I think I wrote this down with Hendrix said or I came up, but the undefined job of a reformer. What what does that even look like? You don't know. And so he's put into these positions and he's learning as he goes, right? So uh, these weird situations that would never come up in our day and maybe we're just one-offs. Like, what do you do with the master of the Teutonic Knights who gets married? I don't know. There's nothing, in, there's no manual for this. And so he's really navigating this. And, and I think this is why it's important for us to kind of talk about this two-year period because the Peasants' War, he is definitely going to be put into a situation and it's maybe not going to go as well. I mean, the stakes are much higher in the Peasants' War. So, you know, you you talked about different cities that how do you do that if the council wants the evangelical pastor or if the previous pastor becomes evangelical? What happens if the, you know, the, the, the monastics in that area stay Roman Catholic? What do you do with runaway nuns and monks? All of these kinds of questions. I mean, you think eventually... We have to realize how how messy it was for for us in Lutheranism in America. Generally speaking, it is a congregation 
with the bishop or president makes a decision about who the next pastor is. In, in, in Germany, especially at that time, it could be the town council, it could be the congregation, it could be the bishop, it could be the, uh, all of them, it could be all of the above, it could be one or the other. It's just really difficult. And so big questions like who calls the pastor? Um, what does Sunday look like? Do we do public education? What do you do with runaway monks and nuns? Uh, all of these kind of administrative things are going to come I, quite rapidly, I would say, over Luther in this two-year period, and it's going to be, it's going to be a training by a baptism by fire for him. And just interestingly, on a side note, um, I was trying to look up a little bit more on it, but um, one of the preachers that uh, Luther sends to Albrecht in, in um, Prussia is uh, Paul Sparatus, the famous hymn writer. Hymn writer. So if you look in the back of your hymnal, whether it be um, Christian worship or Lutheran um, service book or um, ev evangelical Lutheran hymnody, um, you're going to find a, a bunch of uh, Sparatus hymns, likely, and uh, which I think Bach uses some of the texts and cantatas as well. Um, the uh, So a big part of what Luther is doing as well is Wittenberg is kind of becoming this, the seminary of the reform movement. Um, and so he is looking for and trying to send good candidates uh, to these territories or sometimes individual congregations or cities um, that need pastors. And as part of that, um, that means he and others in Wittenberg are also wrestling with what is a good pastor? Like what's the training they receive? What should be their task? What should be the congregation's task? And so later on, uh, um, we should talk about the common chest and some of that stuff, mm. Mike. Um, this is also a, a time of Luther still fighting some of the, the same old fights. Um, Albrecht of Mainz, who got everything started with the original indulgence that Tetzel is selling, is going to issue a, another um, indulgence because, once again, he wants another church title or position. He kind of just can't help himself with that. Albrecht seems like a pretty sincere guy, too, at the end of the day. He's going to try to avoid a fight. Um, but here we can see Luther wanting to do something um, to write against this, but his own elector stepping in and saying, mm -hmm. not right now, you know, mm -hmm. you need to, to chill. And so Luther, of course, still writes about it, but he changes the title of the work to be less of a direct attack on, on Albrecht. Um, but you see a shifting from this period we have had, um, this great creative period of Luther writing, um, theological treatises, and then Luther engaged in a lot of polemics um, to Luther really having to work to build up a structure for this thing that is going to be um, the evangelical church um, in, in German territories and cities. And uh, it's something he, he wasn't trained for, um, he was a provincial vicar with the Augustinians, so he had done some visitation as part of that. Um, but maybe this is a time of a settling in of reform. Luther has survived 1521. He survived forums. He's back from the Wartburg. And now what do these things mean? And here is where things can be really interesting for a cultural or so social historian, because how are these things now going to trickle down to the people, right? The big ideas are out there, intellectual history. Um, but what's going to be the experience of communities with this? What does it actually mean for what churches, for how you address the poor, um, for uh, how you get pastors, for who calls pastors? 
um, for who governs the church and how the church should be structured. And not as much gets written about this because, quite frankly, it's not as in, it's not as exciting. It's not as sensationalist, right? Um, but it will have long-standing implications, uh, and um, and so it it uh, I would say it's an equally challenging period for Luther. Um, but I think the word that just keeps coming to mind is it, it's administrative. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a it's a different Luther. Um, than the Luther who's been engaged in theological combat before this. There's still going to be that, and so you still have like Cochleus and others who are going to be writing against Luther, um, but maybe maybe we can hit on. You're going to have runaway nuns that show up mm-hmm. in Wittenberg. To what degree was Luther complicit in this? We don't know. He seems mm-hmm. to kind of hint that he was. Mm-hmm. Um, but either way, right? that's a social mm-hmm. consequence of this. What do you do? A lot of people don't realize the guy who smuggled them out could have been put to death. This is a capital crime mm-hmm. um, to snuggle, smuggle, not snuggle, don't <laughs> snuggle nuns, um, to smuggle, um, what is it, 11, I believe, um, out of a, a convent, one of them being Katie von Bora. Mm-hmm. And not only are they smuggling out nuns, um, but these nuns, for the most part, are children of the nobility. Um, so they come from important families. So there's all sorts of dynamics what do you do with them if they don't want to be nuns anymore? Mm-hmm. It's not like they can just go get a job at Northwest Mutual. Mm-hmm. I just saw a sign for them. <laughs> so, um, how are they going to be supported economically? If they are going to marry, who are they? can they marry pastors? Mm-hmm. Um, and there's serious things about the vow there. Yeah. Right? I mean, Luther is very serious. We talked about this before, very serious about the vow. You made a promise. He's going to back off a little bit on that. And what kind of vow was it? Was it a 13-year girl being pushed into it or is it somebody that you know should have known better uh you know and then speaking to albert Mainz, you know he he arrests doesn't he evangelical pastors who who got married uh duke george i know does i don't know well it could be albrecht too i think albrecht let me let me look at so you could well be right yeah archbishop albert of Mainz. i'm reading here had arrested two married priests okay well, Albert himself kept several women, right? So you have well, that kind of just that. kind of famously, I don't think Hendricks had sent it, but you know, there's strong suspicions that some of the like um, paintings Albrecht has done, especially of Mary, like his concubine sat for that. Yeah, you know, which is an extra thumb in the eye for anybody concerned mm-hmm. with reform. But sorry, go ahead, Mike. Yeah, no, I think that's you know, what, what do you just kind of just the. There's plenty of times in history and even in our own day where you just look and go, this is absurd. This is absurd that you have people acting this way. Here are these rules. Here are these traditions. Here you have people trying to reform. But it's it's not easy because it's a complicated political situation. For Luther, it was a theological issue, of course, but also an administrative issue. What do you, what do, you do with all these runaway monks, you know, um, and nuns? Um, you know, and maybe, too, we, we did... We did talk about how he survived, you know, this this uh, diet of worms and and Varberg and stuff like that. It seems to be like he's sort of safe, like he's got Frederick's back there. The other thing, maybe a broader picture, you have or, or Frederick has his back. Yeah, yeah. Leo the tenth passes away in fifteen twenty one. You have, I think, Adrian the sixth would be who has a very short uh, um, rule. Um, would have been probably a reformer, not necessarily a Lutheran reformer, but a reformer. Moral reformer. Moral reformer. Reform. So, yeah, we will talk about that more and more, I think, as, you know, there there is going to be a Roman Catholic Reformation that is going to be moral. They, they are not going to get what John Huss 
Wycliffe and later Luther took the took the main problem to be a theolog there needs to be a theological reformation not just a moral reformation and then you have clement the the seventh um uh, a medici who who comes in in 1523 he's not going to be probably uh he's not going to be let's say a moral reformer um it's complicated right there you have a power vacuum there there is big time politics going on between the Habsburg family the you know the French. You got Henry the Eighth is is coming up uh, soon in our history here. You're going to have uh, the papacy as well. Uh, maybe the Lutheran problem kind of gets on the back burner a little bit. Of course, you have the Turkish threat out in out in the east as well. So there is a settling down um, before the Peasants' War, where this administrative stuff is going to come out. And maybe it was a blessing in disguise that there was this calmness here. Um, where maybe the evangelicals could get their feet on the ground when it came to administration. Eventually, you're going to have a catechism. Eventually, you're going to have church visitations. You're going to during this time that, a revised yeah. order of the mass. Yep. So you're going to have a lot of these things, and a prayer uh, book. Yeah. So uh, definitely a transition period, and one I think you right really say administratively for sure. Yeah. I think one of the interesting things that comes out of this too is. Um, so you have secular rulers who see <coughs> church lands and buildings um, as being a possible source of revenue. Um, if monks and nuns are leaving, what happens to those lands? What happens to the incomes that were earned from those lands? And Luther is cognizant of this very early as well. Um, and so... And you see this in England big time with Henry VIII and with the Tudors. Um, <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> but um, it uh, Luther is going to want to avoid all this income just being eaten up and not used for a, um, a Christian purpose. Mm -hmm. And so I think an interesting thing that comes out of this as he's setting up um, some of the, we would call them church constitutions for some of these churches, um, I think maybe just to hit on the development of the common chest briefly, mm -hmm. because this is going to be something that will feed into the development of what we call the welfare state. And here I don't mean like conservative or liberal um, welfare. Like what I mean is that, that the state has a, a, a safety net economically for people. And so Luther is going to want a lot of these funds. Later he's going to really campaign for them to go towards schools as well. But to go into what's called a common chest, and, and this is um, a big shift in how the, the poor are viewed, that will have a lot of implications historically um, for good and for ill. And uh, for instance, most of these reformed cities, um, not reformed like Swiss reform, but they're adopting the Lutheran Reformation, um, will forbid begging. And we might look at that and go, man, they didn't care about the poor. Well... First off, begging at that point was largely associated with the mendicant monastic <coughs> orders. Um, so these would be like the Franciscans who took vows of poverty and were supposed to, to live off of, um, of uh, alms. And what Luther wants to do is to set up um, mechanisms for addressing poverty. And the common chest is a really interesting one for doing so. A lot of the incomes that come from these church lands... Uh, Various incomes will come into the common chest, and they will, in essence, elect people to administer the common chest um, to give no interest or very low interest loans.
for people who need help through stuff, um, to provide perishable or non-perishable food for the poor. And, and so I think it's helpful for us to remember um, this is not Luther just punting care for the poor to the secular authorities, <clears throat> as has become the case in some places, um, but it becomes an administrative task of the, of the church. But this will really Im- impact how the poor are viewed and how the poor are treated. And so I think that the common chest will be a big development, and I think Lutheran economics would be a good one to do at some point. Um, Carter Lindbergh has some really good stuff on this. But I think that developing will be important. I think also, um, in connection with that, how churches are structured, um, you're not going to have congregationalism, but you are going to see Luther encouraging more congregational involvement mm-hmm. in, in their life, um, who's, who their preacher will be, um, what the theology of that congregation will be, and that will have a, a lasting historical impact as well. And we see that, um, especially in the American setting, when um, I just held a call. Mike, you've held a number of calls. I've had a, a number as well. Um, that idea of, well, the congregation is going to call its preacher, mm-hmm. and it's going to have expectations of the theology of the preacher, that's going to come out of this this time period. I think also the, the, um, the reform of the Mass. Uh, you mentioned the Book of Common Prayer. The fact that um, what Lutheranism still has, and I would say the majority of its congregations today, the fact that it largely resembles the Roman Mass in a number of ways so that you might have a Catholic visitor, <clears throat> Roman Catholic visitor, to your parish who goes, yeah, this is pretty much what we do. Um, that is going to come out of this as well as Luther is going to conservatively, now it's not conservative in the sense of he's making some radical changes, mm-hmm. communion in both kinds, <clears throat> stuff like that, um, but he's going to he's not going to say let's throw everything out, but he's going to take out things like the canon of the Mass. So if you've been to a Roman Catholic Mass, um, you know the priest will say, Lord, accept the sacrifice of my hands for my good and the good of all this church. Stuff like that is going to come out. Uh, Eventually, um, the Eucharistic prayer, which Mike wants to put back in, uh, will come out. But to be fair... um, the orientation of the Eucharistic prayer at that time was very different. So, right. so when we do that, see that coming back into some Lutheran hymnals today, um, usually it's still sacramental talk. It's mm-hmm. not sacrificial mm-hmm. talk, which is what Luther would have found um, objectionable. objectionable. Yeah. yeah, and um, and so these these changes will have. Uh, it's a time where the cultural and social impact is going to become very important. Before this, it's largely intellectual stuff. It is academics arguing. It is the clerical class arguing. It is um, the political class perhaps involving itself. Um, but this is the time where the, the experience of the burger mm-hmm. or of the peasant going to church, um, being assisted if they fall on hard times, um, this really solidifies in this period. Yeah. And you, we already heard about you know the... <laughs> The people are getting this information. There's maybe even th- there's always threat of peasant revolt, but there's there's a threat of peasant revolt related to this Luther guy. Um, and then, but you're right; it's all academic <laughs> until it's not. Right. And then you're going to have these issues that you're going to have to deal with. And and uh, yeah, I, I when you really think about it from from Worms and Vorberg then to the peasants' revolt, this this little tidbit where we kind of jump over usually 
Uh, there's a lot going on there, and there's some interesting uh, people there, right? Uh, Albrecht, uh, Master of the Teutonic Knights. You still have Albert of Mainz doing his thing. We mentioned Hermann von Wied. Spalatin um, is still yeah. very involved. And so um, Johann von Staupitz's is, sister is one of the runaway nuns. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of interesting people there, which deserve their own episode, right? We've already talked about Katie Luther. Eventually got to get to Chronic, and I think we, we really need to do some Stalpit stuff, too. But uh, we don't know when we're, we're going to get to that. Some other, you know, and then we talked about the political stuff, uh, you know, in the, in the papacy. Of course, you saw the Turkish threat, too. But there's going to be some boiling up things that are going to be life-changing things for Luther as well. Um, one is... Um, 1524, am I right here? That is when Erasmus writes on the freedom of the will. I, I think that was a little later, but I think fifteen twenty four. I know fifteen twenty four is when he stops wearing monastic garb. I want to say I want to say that Erasmus is already starting. Things are brewing. Why don't you check that date I'm date doing for that now. me? Um, but you you got that coming up. You're uh, better with dates, so I'm trusting you on this. But I'll, Jan- I'll double check. January fifteen twenty three. I'm reading from the book here now, so I know this is for yeah, sure. Yeah, you are right on that, Mike. Yep. Zwingli. Um, Debates a representative of the Bishop of Constance. Constance is in modern day northern, very uh, northern Switzerland. Resort town, uh, if Yeah, it is. Big, I've been there. It's a big, nice town. Uh, famous for uh, quite a, uh, for a um, church council, too, of course. Yeah. Right? So, um, <clears throat> barbecue house. So, we have this, the first indication that the Swiss may go with the Reformation. That would Not be a good be. in Constance. If you're going to start a restaurant to start a barbecue, barbecue joint, <laughs> and call it the, the Hussite, Hussite or something. The Hussite, yeah. And just to see how many people actually figure out what, the, yeah. uh, what it actually means. Um, so, you know, the, obviously the Swiss Reformation is going to go in a different direction politically and theologically. But a lot of stuff, a lot of moving parts here right now. Um, so you got Erasmus is going to start... Is going to insert himself. You're going to have the Swiss. And then, of course, you have this young lady named Katie yep. who's going to and really... Internal cha- well. Internal in the sense of fellow, what we would call today Protestants, um, of not just opposing people from Roman Catholicism, but you'll have opposition coming from Karlstadt and Minzer. Yep, and so <coughs> we've already done Karlstadt and, and Minzer, and but this is this is the kind of stuff that is going to, uh, you know, lead to again, uh, once again, the peasants' revolt. So we have a lot of things brewing here: uh, Luther's personal life, Swiss Reformation, Erasmus. Um, the papacy is changing. You know, uh, Charles V is still pretty young and new on the job here. Yep. Um, we kind of of always picture him as this, uh, you know, there's just the emperor. Well, he's a young emperor who is growing, and we we forget his whole story. Um, And then, of course, the Turks out there, too. So there's there's a lot of things that are going to eventually uh, kind of explode in the the next time. So I don't know if you have some final thoughts. I think it's a good transitional session that we've tried to have here. I mean, we're setting the stage, I guess, if um, you're not at the chalkboard, but for, but stuff for us to keep in mind. I think we're looking at a, an upcoming session, um, maybe on Thomas Munzer himself, um, and then the Peasants' Revolt. Um, we probably owe you all something on Luther's marriage and on Katie. I think this is a good time to do one on Ulrich Zwingli. Um, and you might say, why does a series on Luther have a session on Ulrich Zwingli? I think it's important to understand the reform that's taking place in Zurich, and so maybe one that's a mix of bio and his, his theology. 
Um, and then we're getting really close to the debate with Erasmus. Mm-hmm. So um, 1524, 25 is going to have a lot in it. And so I think there's a lot of the type of things you can look forward to that we'll, we'll hopefully be hitting on in the, in the coming week. So please come back and uh, listen to us uh, slowly go through Luther's life. Um, these are The next ones are going to be uh, some heavier ones, I would say. They're not just the highlights, you know, uh, the 95 Theses and, uh, and uh, the Diet of Worms and, and Wittenberg, so, but some pretty serious stuff that I think uh, you'll enjoy. So hopefully you'll come back, and uh, until then... Well, let, the, let me, let me... The, the, you know what we haven't done in a long time? What's that? We haven't plugged. Um, so if you are enjoying these, whether it be the Winging It series or the episodes, um, something we haven't reminded people in a while is... Um, do consider subscribing. We really appreciate if you're able to subscribe. Um, Encourage you, if you're enjoying this series, to look back. We have two other series we did, one on church history. Um, And the one that I still get the most comments on is our one on the divine service on the Western right. Go back, check those out. If you find yourself listening to a lot of Winging It series or sessions, um, and you haven't listened to many of the episodes, encourage you to scroll through. We're we're like, uh, what, 150 or something episodes now. It's getting crazy. Um, there's, there is stuff related to this that we've done episodes on. I encourage you to kind of scroll through, see what might be of interest to you. And then, as always, we very much appreciate it when you share stuff, whether that be personally sharing it with people or sharing on social media. If you're benefiting from this, we encourage you spreading the word. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's gratifying to see the audience grow, not um, only as a, 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 for stoking our ego, um, <coughs> But it really helps us Which know. we need because we're kind of slobs and overweight <laughs> right. and not that bright. Well, Mike's talking about me, not him. But <laughs> um, but it does help uh, us to know this is stuff that people want and to keep plugging away on it. Because it does take time for us to be doing the research and refreshing. So we really do appreciate that as well. We plan on sticking with this series for quite a while. We don't know of a lot that's out there as far as... A, you know, recorded stuff that just goes through the life and thought of Martin Luther. So we really want to, if at times it seems, well, they're going slow, we really want to provide a a resource that if someone is into Luther, they want to read a biography of Luther, but they also want to be able to to hear some discussion of stuff, um, that someone, you know, has a year's worth of material to keep them busy um, to make their way through that. If you know someone who might have an interest in Luther, um, you know, point them this way. So we really do appreciate all the support we've had. We haven't we haven't really plugged in a while, so we, we will do that. And then, uh, yeah, otherwise, Mike, I'll let you do what you were about to do there. Yeah, please come back and, um, and, and be with us as we continue our walk through Luther. And so until next time, let the bird fly. Another round, another round, one more round won't get me down. 